Good day and welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am indeed, of course, Corey Morgan. This is the Western Standards Weekly Show to cover news issues. I talk to interesting guests, offer you my opinions and rants. And for those who are tuning in live, we got the opportunity to interact, send questions my way, questions to the guests, uh, or even have some discourse amongst each other. I see Mr. Stanley already checking in there in the comment scroll. As always, I just like to remind everybody, keep it civil. We can get uh, rough and tough on each other and Twitter and spots like that. But on this show, we do want to stay polite with each other, even if we hold strongly held views. If you didn't hold strongly held views, you probably wouldn't be tuning in already. And boy, there's just so much to cover these days. It's, it's, it's exhausting. You know, in summertime, I had to sit and scratch my head and wonder what to write about week by week or what to talk about because things get a little slow and so on. Right now, it's just a matter of trying to pare it down to the few subjects that I can cover in this period of time we have together. So I'll get right to it. Good to see you there checking in there, Jake, out in BC. So yeah, I've got uh, some things to go on about as well. I got a guest coming on a little while, Dr. Robert Dixon. We're going to talk about water fluoridation. Yeah, this is a subject that just keeps coming and going and coming and going. There's plebiscites. It's on. It's off. It looks like Calgary is moving back into it soon. And uh, some people, including Dr. Dixon, have some serious concerns about it. So we'll chat about that and, and look at some of the issues going on with that subject. I mean, I, I got to admit, I get more inclined to saying, oh, I just wish it'd be over and leave it in the background. But obviously, a lot of people are still seriously concerned about it. And if they're concerned about it, it's their water and they should have the right to talk about it and express those concerns on what might be happening with that uh, going into the water supplies. All right, but I'm going to go on the national scene here for a bit and what's got me going right now. So we got Justin Trudeau. He's on the political ropes and Jagmeet Singh knows it. So Singh's calling for a new tax to pilfer the profits of Western Canadian energy companies and he won't have to twist Trudeau's arm all that hard to get it. Now, heat pumps. Yes, they've become the environmentalist flavor of the week. Well, it's kind of hard to say why. I mean, heat pumps have been around for decades. But they never really came into popular use because they don't work very well in most Canadian regions and they cost a fortune. Even with a $5,000 rebates from the taxpayers on those things that have been around for a while, not many people are taking up heat pumps. They're, they're a lot like solar panels on homes. They offer a supplemental source of energy, but really aren't economical for most people, at least not yet at this point. The technology might get better later, but it's not here yet. I mean, insurance companies won't cover homes with heat pumps if that's the only form of heat in the household. They know that the pumps are likely to fail during cold snaps, and then, of course, you get the ruptured water pipes and freezing, and it causes a catastrophic damage. So you still end up having to pay for gas service and maintain a furnace on top of paying for a heat pump. I mean, if you're with gas to begin with, and that pump could cost you ten dollars to $15,000 to install, and suddenly it just doesn't look all that appealing, does it? Not to mention, heat pumps use a whole pile of electricity. They're sort of like reverse air conditioners. And home owners can look forward to a spike in their electric bills, even if there's a modest de decrease in their gas heating costs if they switched over, or whatever other source of heat they used. All the same, to be fair, they offer one option among many for, for home heating and cooling. Some people in moderate climates have said they work really well for them for some air conditioning and heat. But we're not in a moderate climate. That's the problem. But either way, hey, if it works for you, good for you. I have no issue with that choice. The problem comes when the government taxes me, though, to pay for somebody else's heat pump. Then I have a problem. Because like electric vehicles, people aren't inclined to buy these heat pumps without huge subsidies. Also, you know, the subsidies are going to have to be massive to encourage large numbers of people to invest in systems that just don't work well for them. So why have we got this sudden big push for these pumps? Well, Trudeau recently stepped in it. 
nothing new. He cut the carbon tax for home heating for people in Atlantic provinces who use heating oil. It was a crass move to try and buy electoral love from the East Coast, and it blew up in his face. In a bizarre attempt to justify the move, Trudeau said it was to encourage people using heating oil to switch to heat pumps. Now, how would making it cheaper to use heating oil, uh, you know, how would that encourage people to move away from uh, heating oil in the first place? It's a mystery only Trudeau could understand. Still, this move brought heat pumps, which had previously been a seldom used heating option in Canada, into the spotlight. And it fits in with the environmental obsession of making everybody move to electric forms of energy, despite the lack of uh, electric infrastructure being in place to make it feasible. It also ignores the fact that much of the electric power in Canada still comes from coal and natural gas. But again, we understand it's virtue signaling. It's not about reality or the environment. Jagmeet Singh knows people aren't willing to invest in heat pumps. So like a good socialist, he feels the government should do so on the people's behalf, even though it's our money. The costs to convert every home to heat pumps would run into the hundreds of billions of dollars. At least that's according to Western Standard Energy writer Sean Polzer. You can look that up on there. Even if houses that were already just on pure electric heat were excluded from that, the costs would be astronomical. Now, Singh might be economically witless, but he does know the government doesn't happen to have a couple hundred billion dollars laying around. That's why he's proposed stealing the money from energy companies with what he's, of course, calling a windfall tax. You don't hear about those taxes when oil was near 10 or $5 a barrel, of course. And never mind the reality that even if the government stole every penny from the energy company profits, they'd barely get over $40 billion. Never mind that the companies would flee Canada in such a circumstance, and never mind how it would decimate the pension funds and savings of Canadians. Singh sees a target, and in his simplistic economic world, he would just propose nationalizing energy companies if they didn't cooperate anyways. I mean, it worked like a charm in Venezuela, didn't it? While I doubt the government would be so bold as to scoop the entire profits of energy companies, it's very believable they would make a large grab for them. Trudeau's floundering, and Singh is a slave to a socialist ideology. Neither party has anything to lose in enraging the prairie provinces. The policies of the government don't make sense because the government isn't even trying to make sense anymore. Trudeau's throwing everything he has at the wall in hopes of somehow turning about his plummeting political support. And Jagmeet Singh is working to take advantage of the government's weakness. Get ready for it, folks. Get ready for the National Energy Program Part 2 as the Liberals hit the wall. Because the Liberals and NDP won't be able to restrain themselves for much longer. And Justin would be more than happy to join in with Singh and try and do to Alberta what has Dada failed to do the first time with the National Energy Program? Be on guard, guys. Singh's calling for it, and Trudeau will be listening soon. All right, that's what's got me wound up today. Let's see what else can get me uh, <coughs> pissed off and worked up and talk to our news editor, Dave Naylor, and see what else is going on there. Hey, Dave, how's it going? It's going great, Corey, but uh, just a quick story to tell our, our viewers and listeners out of the, uh, the UCP convention in, in Calgary, 3,700 delegates on the weekend. Uh, we were attending a, uh, a session on, on Friday uh, afternoon, and it was packed. And, and a nice lady asked if she didn't mind sitting at the media table. And I said, sure. And then uh, when she found out there was a whole bunch of Western Standard people there, she just lit up and said, oh, I love what you guys do. I, I read all your stuff. I watch all your shows. But more importantly, I just love that Corey Morgan guy. Just love him. <laughs> so, of course, we all rolled our eyes, and you weren't there, but... Uh, I ran into her the next day and she said that she was able to meet you and standing by you on the convention floor, it was like a, you were a rock star. People kept coming up to you. Oh, Corey, you're so great. Oh, Corey, you're so great. And I happened to notice they were they were all women. So, uh, I mean, holy cow, you hit it out of the ballpark, uh, Corey, at the, on the weekend. I, I seem to have a distinct reader demographic. I mean, for the most part, the women tend to be a little... Uh, 
uh, of our vintage as well. Uh, we're not talking about the, the young ladies throwing their panties. This is more like the retired ones throwing their depends. But I still appreciate uh, people coming to show their appreciation of my show and, uh, and my writings. Uh, it was pretty interesting at the uh, AGM. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with people of our vintage, Corey. Come on. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So it's been a very busy morning here at uh, Western Standard World Headquarters, uh, led off by the, as promised, uh, uh, UCP dismantling of Alberta Health Services. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a massive undertaking, very complicated, uh, but uh, basically they're going to uh, take everything, all responsibilities away from uh, AHS, except for hospitals, uh, uh, acute care. They are setting up, uh, you know, special uh, special bureaus, bureaucracies to run uh, uh, things like uh, mental health and addiction, uh, seniors care. Uh, so it's going to be a very, a very interesting uh, uh, few years ahead for uh, AHS or what's left of it. And uh, as you know, Corey, uh, the Premier Smith uh, campaign on that very issue of uh, blowing up uh, AHS. Uh, Rebecca Schultz is uh, mocking her good friend uh, Stephen Gilbo for uh, uh, failing to meet uh, emissions targets. Uh, the report was out yesterday uh, from a federal watchdog that uh, said the Liberals are failing miserably uh, to meet uh, emissions targets. Uh, our uh, best friend of the Western Standard, Gil McGowan, and NDP leader uh, Rachel Notley is chiming in with their disgust over the fact that Premier Smith will be sh sharing the stage with uh, uh, Tucker Carlson at an event in Calgary uh, in the new year. And I, I understand uh, tickets are selling like hotcakes. So if you did want to go, you better get yours, uh, yours quickly. Uh, the London Cenotaph uh, down on, uh, in uh, uh, White, Whitehall in, uh, in London is being closed to the public this Sunday for the big Armistice Day uh, celebrations. Authorities fear that uh, uh, an expected march of tens of thousands of pro-Hamas supporters uh, would, would uh, try and disrupt the... Uh, Remembrance Day ceremonies, so police are blocking off all roads leading to the cenotaph and will not allow the uh, public anywhere near it. Uh, if you're a fan of uh, CBC, and we all know that uh, nobody is, uh, this hour had 22 minutes, uh, Was uh, had uh, Premier Smith on last night, and they were joking about Gilbo's plans for uh, for uh, for home heating systems and whatnot, uh, so apparently it was, uh, it was quite funny. And uh, what else is worth mentioning? Oh, if I don't know if you uh, if you cook with olive oil at all, Corey, but uh, apparently that is now sh shot up in price to where is a, a barrel of olive oil is uh, fifth is uh, fifteen times more expensive than a barrel of uh, crude oil. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, our Sean, Sean Poulter has uh, all the details uh, of that are up there now. So. Uh, that's uh, what we've got uh, for now, Corey. I understand I'll be joining you on the uh, uh, the pipeline tonight, so I look forward to that. You bet. And uh, yes, you have. You know, you, you tend to throw a curveball at me at these news check-ins every time, but I have to. But you've really actually managed to embarrass me a little this time, Dave. So good work. Thanks. And uh, I'll, I'll see <laughs> well, what I can do to you on the pipeline. Corey, I mean, it, it was the truth. I was standing there with our opinion ed editor, Nigel, and we were just shaking our heads. Uh, you know, steady stream of women coming up uh, and uh, saying how great you are. It, uh, I felt embarrassed for you, to be honest. <laughs> All right. Okay, thanks, Dave. We'll, uh, I'll see you after the show. We'll get ready for the pipeline. Thanks, Corey.
And that is our new news editor, Dave Naylor, covering the important things and the trivial, as we saw from the, the UCP AGM. So uh, this one I like to remind everybody, too. I mean, look at all those stories. And if you look at it on the scroll, the Western Standard is out there on the ground. We are not beholden to the government. We're independent. And the reason for that is because you guys have subscribed. So I know people like to curse about paywalls, but it's the way we can keep doing this. If you haven't taken out a subscription yet, get on there, guys. WesternStandard.news slash membership. It's $10 a month, $100 for a year. Again, it's just like you used to pay for a newspaper subscription, things like that. And it keeps us rolling and allows us to keep doing these shows and having all those great reporters and editors uh, out there to make sure that you guys have got good, reliable news out there. So uh, something we're going to be hearing a lot about in the news, probably nationally, because it seems when Daniel Smith does things in Alberta, it tends to shake things up across the country these days because she's unlike a lot of other premiers in, in taking on things that are typically taboo. And, uh, you know, others are just aren't, well, I mean, the biggest sacred cow of all in Canada is the healthcare system. So one of the things Dave mentioned, people outside of Alberta might not be familiar with, she's taking on AHS. That stands for Alberta Health Services. And uh, the rhetoric is always ramping up, already ramping up, you know, that... Uh, Daniel Smith's going to blow up uh, Alberta Health Services and she's going to end public health care and all the usual crap that comes out of opponents. We've got to remember AHS. It's just, that's the bureaucracy, okay? That's the organizational hub of the health services. That's where all the pointy-headed pencil pushers and bureaucrats sat. That's where they determined things and they've done a terrible job. She's not going after public health care itself. Premier Smith is going after the bureaucracy. And I tell you what, the bureaucracy has not been functioning well. It hasn't been efficient. Services have been slow. It's been difficult. I mean, I mean, everybody says the same thing. You talk to people when they get services in Alberta and the health system, it's the same thing. Once they get in, the, the service is fantastic. We've got some of the best healthcare professionals in the world. And we've got fantastic facilities and, and, and means to do it. The problem is you could be waiting a very, very long time to get in there in the first place. That's the issue. Unfortunately, if you want to call it free, fine, even though it's costing you out of your taxes, it won't matter if you don't make it in time to take care of whatever condition you may need treated. So the bureaucracy is a large chunk of that. And, and uh, yeah, I guess you don't want to go into the wrecking ball. You could potentially make things worse, but you can't be afraid of uh, taking on the administration as well if you want to make substantive change. So Premier Smith has announced she's going to be breaking up the AHS into more... Um, uh, units, I guess you could say, to specialize in different areas. We'll see how that works. We're going to break it down more in the pipeline, as Dave mentioned, too. Uh, that's our other show that'll be coming on a little later, because it, it is a big issue. And healthcare, I mean, it's something Canadians, well, everybody relies on you. Certainly, uh, you might not think about it until you suddenly need it. And then suddenly, it's the most important policy in the world for you, of course. But uh, uh, we, we, we really need to work on fixing the system up. So that segues in, I'll get on with my guest here in just a moment. Something I guess you could, well, we talk about uh, monopolized public services and one of those in, in the city anyways is water supplies. You, you can't drill a water well in Calgary and get your own water. So you're reliant on what they put in the water on your behalf. And an ongoing back and forth struggle, push and pull has been the fluoridation of Calgary's water. There's been plebiscites to get rid of it, plebiscites to bring it back. We, we just can't seem to stop on this, but there are some concerns. People have some serious concerns with it. And that's a person I have on, Dr. Robert Dixon. And this is uh, something he's really taken on uh, as a cause and specialized in is concern with the water fluoridation. So he's coming to the studio today to talk to us a, a bit about it. So uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Dixon. Thank you for coming in. Nice to be here, Corey. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I guess uh, 
where I want to start with is why now? Is, is there something coming up then in, in City Hall or a turning point that's approaching when it comes to the water fluoridation? Well, I'd like to think so because uh, they just raised the, the cost of putting fluoridation back in our city water from $10 million of taxpayers' money. That was two years ago when they passed this law, this policy. It's now $28 million. So I think that's a very significant point to, to be brought up before council, amongst other things. Yeah, and I, you're going to go into the other things right away here. But I mean, that's one of the areas that people could be concerned about, too. I mean, we had it in before. And of course, in the typical manner of uh, uh, government bureaucracies, boy, it suddenly gets expensive to bring something back that we already had in the first place. So uh, the first place this is of concern is at your pocketbook. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I suspect your bigger concern, and from what I've looked into, though, is I guess the, the, the possible health effects of, of fluoridation within people's uh, water supplies. Absolutely. It's, well, one point, it's not needed for a single body function. People will say, oh, it's a nutrient, it's a vitamin, it's a supplement, it's needed for teeth. It's not needed for a single body function. If Elon Musk took all the fluoride to Mars with him, we'd have a lot better planet, maybe without him too. Okay. Well, aside then for, from perhaps not having a, a beneficial aspect, which of course would be pointless if you're putting something within, without benefit, uh, what potential harms then can, can uh, fluoride bring in? Uh, there, there's fluorosis and some other concerns that people have. We can start right from the top of the head. So it calcifies the pineal gland in the back of the brain. That's called the seat of the soul. And uh, that calcifies and functions less optimally. Um, brain damage, that's the big thing for us. Now, there's been really good studies out uh, with the Element and the MIREC cohort. That's groups of uh, thousands, even millions of people across Canada that have been tracked for years and years by the government. And people have teased out from those groups uh, the data, the facts from Canadian cities, fluoridated at Canadian levels, with Canadian women that are pregnant, and then Canadian kids that are bottle-fed from fluoridated water. And we're looking at a 3 to 15-point IQ drop three to 15 points. That's highly significant. Lead was taken right out of the system for a one point IQ drop across the population. Okay, so, and getting around the world, because we're so used to it out here in Calgary, people don't seem to realize that most world water supplies actually don't fluoridate their water. Thank you, that's a major point. So we look across the world, right next door to us in BC, 98% do not fluoridate in British Columbia. Quebec, 99%, pretty soon going to 100% do not fluoridate in Quebec. 95% of the world does not fluoridate. 97% of Europe does not fluoridate. The only people that fluoridate are United States, Canada some, um, Australia and New Zealand quite a bit. Other than that, nobody fluoridates. So um, this is a side note. I'm on a water well, actually. I'm just outside of the city. Uh, but there's some degree of naturally occurring uh, fluoride in, in, in some water supplies as well. Like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be put in by a, a local municipal service. Yeah, and that's a little bit different. It's That's natural calcium fluoride, which is really tightly bound. And if you look at the entire Earth's crust, almost everywhere, there's calcium fluoride. But usually it's in fairly small amounts. Like in our Bow River system on the north side, there's 0.2 parts per million. And that's about the maximum it should be that all the studies show. That should be the maximum allowed amount of fluoride. So calcium fluoride, 0.2 parts per million in the bow, about 0.3 parts per million on the average in the elbow system. So, yeah, I mean, is that going to harm us? Not much. We can sort of flush it out through the kidneys. We'll put some in the bone, but it's not enough that it's going to cause harm. But we start putting hydrofluorosilicic acid, which is the waste product from the fertilizer industry, into our water. That's when we get in trouble. Oh, we're just topping up the natural fluoride. Well, yeah, you're topping it up with the waste product. It's not cleaned. It's not pharmaceutical grade. And for what point? It doesn't do much. Well, that's the next question I kind of want to come to. I guess perhaps to a degree you'd have to theorize on that. 
what is the motivation then? I mean, this is, seems like it's a big headache for city council. I mean, they're going back and forth. They got a lot of other things you'd think yeah. most of them would rather deal with. <laughs> that's, Why that's, are they so obsessed with pushing, putting fluoride back within the city water supply? Well, I guess if you trace it right back, it's the money. So it's, it's big for the fertilizer industry in Florida and China. Um, they don't have to dispose of this highly toxic thing that they're scrubbing out of their fertilizer stacks. And they should be disposing of it in toxic waste disposal plants like ours in Swan, uh, Swan Hills up north. And uh, so they actually, instead of paying a huge amount of money to dispose of this toxic product, they convince it it's good for kids and they get to dump it in our city water and get paid for it. That's a pretty good uh, end around for industry. Well, for, for some of the individuals tied in with that, yes, yeah. absolutely. But, Corey, the main thing is is that um, the bigs like um, Colgate, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, it's about a 20 to $25 billion hit a year uh, or profit a year for fluoride, like in this toothpaste tube, fluoride in there, that, and that's pharmaceutical grade. But that's a big amount of money that they're making, 20 to $25 billion a year on toothpaste, gels, foams, rinses, dental products, all those things. Yeah. But that's topical. I was about to say, though, with Colgate and such, you'd think they'd rather it not go into city water supplies because they could say, if you want the fluoride for your children, for yourself and others, you buy our products and you can uh, choose to get it yourself. Uh, if anything, wish. it would harm their market by having it put into municipal supplies because people would say, well, I don't need your product. No, we, we wish they'd be saying that, but they don't. And uh, th their fear is that if water fluoridation goes down, then that'll give fluoride a bad name and they'd lose a big amount of their market share. Do, do you know what's on a tube of toothpaste? Like this particular one, what it says here? Warning, keep it out of the reach of children under six years of age. If more than used for brushing is accidentally swallowed, get medical help or contact the poison control center right away. I would attribute that though more to our, uh, our lawyers who make sure you cover your butt on everything you consume. No, it's true, uh, it's, it's, it's toxic. There's been people die from consuming too much toothpaste. Yeah, there's a lot of products in our bathrooms though that if we did consume too much of them, we could get into it. That is true, but we don't put them in our water and say, take as much as you want for the rest of your life. No, and, and that's that's where my big issue lands with it in particular. It's just that it's choice. And then you yeah. don't have a choice when you have a city water supply. You only have exactly. one provider. It's not like you could say, well, I could turn on this fluoridated tap over here in this non-one if I choose otherwise. Yeah. It's kind of everybody has to get it or nobody has to get it. And speaking as a libertarian individual, well, then in my view, it should be nobody gets it and they can choose to get it on their own if they like otherwise. And there's lots out there, topically and cheap. Yeah. And that's where the effect is. If there's any effect, it's topically. It's not ingested. It doesn't really do anything ingested except harms. Mm -hmm. And that's harms not just to the brain, but to the thyroid and women that are susceptible. 20% of Canadian women are low in iodine, and they're very susceptible to harms to flu to the, from fluoride. Um, harms to our bones. It makes bones thicker, but more fragile and easy to break harms to our kidneys. If you have any kidney problems at all, don't go anywhere near fluoride. Um, harms to our gut microbiome. I mean, you go right from the top to the bottom, it harms every single cell organ system in our body. Well, likewise, with, with iodine, for example, the iodine salt to make sure everybody can get it. But if you don't like that, you can find salt products without it. Exactly. Yeah. So you have a, a top 10 that you, you wanted to hit on reasons. I know 15 minutes, as we said, you know, is, there's only so much we can cover. It goes in by pretty time, quick, but, but let's hit a couple of these. We already have hit some of them. Yes. One of the major ones is there's a major court case right now in the States, in federal court in California, San Francisco, and it's been going on for seven years. And it's our Fluoride Action Network, which I'm a part of, and it's Mums Against Fluoride and um, uh, Environmental Watch. There's, there's a whole group of organizations that are taking the EPA, the Envi uh, Environmental Protection Agency in the States, to court for putting a neurotoxin, a known neurotoxin in water. And the United States is about 73% fluoridated. So that's a lot of millions of people. 
Mm -hmm. Florida. So they're taking them to court for the last seven years. And we're hopefully in this in coming January, we're going to get a decision. We've won every step along the way so far. And our experts have just bowled over their hired gun experts. Are there, are there any uh, Canadian uh, legal actions under underway at this time as well? No, it's, just... it's such a tedious process, like mm -hmm. seven years. And these are top lawyers. Like Michael Condit has done a great job with his team down in, in San Francisco. But it's so hard and so expensive to do. So there's no legal actions per se, except for Quebec. They're, um, they're doing an injunction against the city of Montreal to get the last little bit, that last 1% of fluoridation out of Quebec. Interesting. Yeah. So what else have you got there? Okay, politicians should not be mass medicating. I mean, that's politicians should be medicating at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. on, on other issues as we could talk about for a long time. But citizens shouldn't be allowed to vote. Like I shouldn't be allowed to vote, nor you should be allowed to vote if I should take a medicine. That's just not ethical. No, no. Not I, right. As I said, it's you know, I, I'm I'm still on the on the fence when it comes to the fluoride itself, but I'm very much on individual rights. Exactly. And it's not my place to tell you that you have to take this or that you shouldn't take that. Uh, it's it's up to the individual. So it's highly unethical to medicate without informed consent. You don't hear anything about informed consent. We don't monitor ever. Take it for the rest of your life and as much as you want, and we don't follow up. Just. Take this, uh, like if you're an athlete or a laborer, just take 10 or 20 glasses a day. So 10 or 20 times a dose of a office worker that might be drinking one glass of water a day. So 20 times a dose, eh, no problem. There's a lot of variability. I mean, different people use different amounts of, of the tap water throughout yeah. the course of a day. I mean, back in my drinking days, I barely touched the tap once. But uh, was... There you go. And that leads to another point that about 99% of water is not consumed. 99% goes to industry, to washing your car, to watering your lawn, flushing your toilet. 1% consumed. Is that a uh, efficient way to get a medication across? No. So that's why we don't do Lipitor or aspirin or Prozac or anything like that in the water neither. You yeah. can't control the dose. And it's just inefficient. And in these days, I, mean, I touched on the uh, $28 million. Mm -hmm. We're in tough economic times now. So why throw $28 million at something that now we know, especially with the newest studies coming out of Canada, it doesn't work and it's harmful. So what's the point of spending $28 million on that? They don't seem to give up on it. And it's most harmful on children, on babies, the disadvantaged, the poor, people of color. It's most harmful to all those people because they don't process or uh, flush the fluoride the same as we do. Okay, I would, I would imagine as well, I mean, people are going to be less likely to get outside sources of water and things like that. If, if they're of limited means, I mean, you stick to your tap water at home because it's, it's the most cost-effective water for you to use. Yeah. So... Uh, it's what does it cost for a reverse osmosis system now? Uh, I don't even know these days. I, I know my whole water system at home uh, on my water well costs a fortune to yeah. treat, and I don't think that would take fluoride out even if it was in there in the first place. But uh, not sure what you have for a system, but yeah. if you buy a reverse osmosis system, which is one of the only things that will take fluoride out because it's such a tiny, aggressive ion, like your normal fridge filters won't take it out, won't touch it. So reverse osmosis will, and then you have to remineralize it because you lose all the minerals with reverse osmosis. But we're looking at between four and maybe even ten or twelve thousand dollars for a whole house unit of reverse osmosis. Yeah, and that's and who can afford that? Not me. Yeah. I'm an independent media. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, before we wrap, I mean, you've got a lot of resources. As so we couldn't cover everything in, in you know in 15 minutes, but we can point people to where they can find out a lot more. And uh, you've yeah, got your, you. your website and, and a book and some other. Yeah, safe order Calgary. You'll see this brochure in there. We delivered this to over 400,000 Calgary homes before the vote in 2021 that we lost the fluoride. So yeah, this one here is on our website, safewatercalgary.com. Uh, very good website. Lots of science on there. Um, 
this fellow, well, I shouldn't say that here. He's a dentist that's against fluoride, and he got taken out by the Alberta Dental Association the day after we put this to 400,000 Calgary homes. Yeah, well, again, we could have a whole different show on, on the um, uh, colleges coming down on medical practitioners of all sorts when they have differing views. But that's, If you uh, want to get me back to talk uh, about that, they're trying to take my license away for two things. Yeah, that's a related issue, but on a... a you know, it's tied together, I guess you could say. Well, one of them, they're taking, trying to take my license away for fluoridation, for my stance against fluoridation. Okay. They say I'm practicing outside of my scope of training. And the other one, of course, is to uh, try to keep people healthy during these COVID times. And so I'm advocating for things like meditation and walking and exercise and vitamin D3 and K2. And, Blasphemy. And they're trying to take my license away for that, too. Yeah, it's controversial when we don't allow uh, differences in thought and something of a science that changes as much as medical. I mean, we're still learning all the time some of the things that are more effective or less effective. Exactly, yeah. Science has to change. That's what science is. So I just have to say that these are my views, not the views of the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Okay, no problem. <laughs> and I'm sorry, and you've got a, a book here with you before I let oh, you go Oh, thank well. you. Yeah, yeah. This is the best book that's ever been written on fluoride. It's called The Case Against Fluoride, and it's written by my good friend, Dr. James Beck, and um, also Paul Conant, who's the head of the Florida Action Network out in New York, and Dr. Meckling, who's a PhD out of England. And the three of them wrote this in 2010. And it is an excellent, excellent book. It still stands today, despite all the new studies that are out. Like now there's, I think, 77 of the last 85 studies out show neurotoxicity or brain damage. And that's after this book came out. But yeah, if anyone wants to come up to speed, great book. Okay, well, that was a, a quick 15 minutes. I know we could only cover so much. And just to remind everybody again, that was Safe Calgary. SafeWaterCalgary.com. SafeWaterCalgary.com. Yeah. Excellent. And again, people can research more and, of course, contact your elected officials if you are upset with these things. Thank you. The... Please do. Contact your city councillors like I did yesterday. I contacted each councillor separately and the mayor and the city clerk. And I'm going to keep doing that until throw this poison in our water okay well thank you very much for coming in to talk to us today dr dixon about this and uh well, i wish you well in in your efforts to make sure there's there's clean water thanks for having me Corey, and for helping get the word out there because that's what we need we need education absolutely not many organizations will publish this no afraid not <laughs> okay thank you thank you very much all right so yes, that was Dr. Dixon, and uh, as we said, I, I believe it was Safe Water Calgary. And uh, yeah, as I said, you know, there, there's differing views, but you can research, you can look it up. There's a lot of information about that out there, and, and he provides it. And there's counter information. That's fine. The main thing, the the main challenge is there's only one water supply, and that's where I again I get my backup. Look, if there was choices, fine, but this is all or nothing, and that's where we start to run into problems. That's where we ran into problems, of course, when we talk about coercion for vaccination and things like that as well. I wasn't too uh, personally concerned with the COVID, COVID vaccine, at least not at first. It kind of reevaluated some things for uh, since, but I was always heavily on it has to be a choice. Any medical procedure has to be a choice, medication, procedure, anything like that. So, Check those things out. I know it's 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 a subject that kind of makes people's eyes roll. It's something we've been hearing about for so long. It just keeps coming. More plebiscites back, forth, up, down. The bottom line is you're the one that's got to drink that water. And, uh, you know, unless you want to spend all that money on reverse osmosis and things like that, uh, you you might want to encourage your, your uh, city councillors to reevaluate that. Or maybe you really are strongly in favor of it. It goes both ways. That's the way democracy works. I just take issue with, even if it's a minority of people who want the fluoride out, well, they can't escape it because 
it's a public water supply and that that makes it difficult i think personally i think the only obligation then on the part of a public water supplier should be making sure it's safe making sure it's clean you know keeping the of course you know e coli down and some of the more harmful elements but you can't use it as a medication delivery system and and that's what's happening you know it's even if a even if it ostensibly is a good medication. Because we are hearing from others saying that uh, uh, cavities in children went up with the removal of the fluoride. I don't know. I mean, maybe. But uh, again, is it the place of the city to put that in in the first place? I mean, where will they stop? You know, <laughs> there's lots of things you can put in the water supply. If I was a real prankster, I'd like to put a bunch of Viagra in the water supply and see how mess things get up for a few days. But I would be charged, of course, with uh, uh, nasty poisoning of people or at least, you know, causing a lot of sore backs and worn out bed springs. But I mean, the bottom line is water supplies aren't something to be played with. Just need clean, reliable, safe water. And this Florida fluoride hang up, uh, as was pointed out, vast, vast majority of the world doesn't put this in their water. So why are we so insistent on it? Of course, I don't know. They, they, they don't necessarily put a lot of it into the water in England, too, and look at their teeth. There's a lot of debate to be had on the whole thing. I mean, it could go either way with it. All right, let's see some of the other stuff going on. This is a beauty out of uh, the House of Commons. Everybody's favorite. I think you've mentioned that. You know, Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo. And he declared he is a proud socialist in the House of Commons the other day. You know, socialism and communism, they are siblings they're very close it's just a matter of degree it used to be that you'd be ashamed or at least you're painting yourself into a corner as being on that fringe and I, socialism is a fringe guys when we got a senior trudeau minister though not afraid to get up and say hey I, and that's his words he said i'm a proud socialist we should be pretty bloody concerned uh, you know venezuela was managed by a proud socialist. It used to be one of the richest uh, 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 Latin American countries in the world. And now it's leading in poverty. They are in the dumps. They got some of the most, uh, uh, well, I'm stuck for words. It must be the fluoride talking. I had plentiful uh, oil and gas reserves, you know, in Venezuela. They got a great large coastline, fantastic people, uh, good agricultural uh, ability. And they're starving. They're broke. You know how that can happen? Socialism. No economy can safely survive socialism. It's, it's, it's oil and water. You cannot do well under socialism. And we've got a guy who has Justin Trudeau's ear, him and you know Jagmeet Singh, who's a socialist on the other side, telling him what to do. You better get concerned, guys. This is frightening. I mean, uh, it's, this is not a minor thing going on. Socialism, socialism, the, 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 the nationalization of, of countries' products. But of course, look what happened with the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Look what they're looking to do with grocers. These uh, socialists, <laughs> they, they, they won't give up because it's like a religion. It's an ideology. So uh, you can't reason with them when they've declared themselves as such. So it didn't make enough news, in my view, when, when, when Gilbo said that. And it's not that shocking. I see Anthony uh, commenting, saying the fact that he was made environment minister when he was a, an arrested Greenpeace protester tells a lot. I know, he was already a, basically a known lunatic. He was already an extremist. And to have Trudeau put him into uh, such a senior position is of concern. But, I mean, he's not even trying to you keep the veneer up any longer. <laughs> he's declaring himself a proud socialist. Some of it also, I don't think so. Because it was one thing about Gilbo. He's a pure ideologue. He's the real thing. Because some might say, well, maybe it's it's just, 
you know, political tactics, trying to eat away a little bit back at the NDP because, you know, they're fighting over the same votes. Ah, eh, perhaps, but I don't think so. I, I don't think Gilboa thinks in politically nuanced ways. He he just does. And he is when he says he's a socialist, believe him. And when I tell you that socialism will kill the economy, believe me, we have enough examples around the world. It never works. Again, it's just communism light. Unfortunately, when socialism fails, quite often the next move from its proponents isn't to back off of it, it's to double down. When you double down socialism, you get communism. That's how the math works on that, guys. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. Speaking of socialist fools, so CBC, yeah, state broadcaster. And I'll call it that because they are so far up the government's butt and they get so, they chafe so much when I refer to them as a state broadcaster. But when you basically do nothing but parrot the government line, you are a state broadcaster, especially when you are getting over a billion a year from taxpayers to, to put out the crap you put out. And, you know, the, the thing with this whole, the, the nightmare that just keeps unfolding and going on in Israel and Gaza and the rest, right off the bat, was CBC puts an order down saying not to use the word terrorist. And they still won't. They still won't. Hamas, Hezbollah, these aren't, it's not theories that these organizations are terrorists. They are registered in Canada as terrorist organizations. Why can't the stinking state broadcasters say it? Why can't they say it out loud? Even Trudeau said it, but they won't say it because they're taking a side. And you know what side they're taking? They're taking the side of the freaking terrorists. It's disgusting. And your tax dollars are going towards that. And to see how much farther to that side they go, because the CBC, the, the self-assigned king of so virtue signaling on behalf of Canada, of progressivism, of anti-hate, of diversity. Well, we had a hate-motivated incident happen in Ottawa. A person who was harassed because of their ethnicity, because of their religion. This person was threatened because of that. This person was pushed to the point where the police had to intervene and actually charge somebody with a hate-motivated incident. You know what? The only thing you hear about it, if you read the CBC, was it was a hate-motivated incident against an individual. What the CBC wouldn't say was it was a rabbi. It was a Jew. It's not worth mentioning then, apparently. They did not once in their whole headline or story on this person being charged did they mention that. They just said it was a hate-motivated incident. They don't want to ever say perhaps that Jews might be victimized by somebody because the CBC is supporting Hamas, essentially. They are. That's the side they're leaning on. So let's not beat around that bush. I've had it with that. When you can't even say the word Jew, you guys are pathetic. And I'm paying for you. And yeah, that gets me stirred up. And I really want to see you guys defunded. My God, if Polyev gets in for even one thing and gets one promise done, defunding you clowns would be one of the best things he can do. How pathetic are you? Had it been a Muslim who was targeted with a hate-motivated incident, you guys would have had that plastered all over the place. Had it been an Asian person, had it been anybody except this, because that doesn't fit with your pro-Hamas standpoint when it comes to the Gaza-Israel conflict going on right now. So you don't want to say that because that would perhaps show that, oh my God, they have demonstrated hatred towards Jews. Yeah, you think? They cut the heads off their babies, you clowns. By the way, enough about the CBC. Hard to keep my lunch down when I think of those guys. Let's talk about some other fools. This was a beauty out of the Treasury Board President Anita and This was great. You know, this shows government at its best, at its own tone deaf. Saying uh, they're, they're going to promise it very soon now, now that it's been released, thanks to Blacklocks. I love those guys. You know, they put out great stuff. Uh, and, and, and they're sending, they, they, they spent money 
$669,500 to hire a consultant for advice on how to save money on consultants. Yeah, yeah, that's it's not a typo. KPMG, which again, boy, they certainly get some really cozy contracts there with the government. But you, you spent, uh, you know, close to $700,000 on a consultant asking how to save money on consultants. This was similar, I guess, when Jason Kenney started up the, the whole ministry to end red tape, when obviously, you know, the first thing that that ministry should have done is uh, basically shut itself down because it was creating a whole new industry and a bunch of red tape. Uh, just do it. Just do it. You don't have to spend it. Yeah, angry Canadians say, I would have done it for $500,000. Yeah, you bet. It was put out to bid. I bet we could even have found somebody who could have done the report for $50,000. Uh, but all the same, it still would have been $50,000. Too much spent on consultants when you guys... Uh, uh, you know, are just, they're just something else. But that's why we're going broke, guys. It's not that complicated. Here's something where they're showing a little bit of good common sense. So this one's a fun one. So even the feds won't buy electric vehicles. Yeah, federal departments are avoiding electric cars because they said they're too costly. Really? So we're supposed to buy these things. We're supposed to upgrade our houses. Our provincial governments or local private electric providers are somehow supposed to upgrade the grid to be able to keep up with it. And of course, all those riders on your electric bill and all that good stuff are supposed to get you into those electric vehicles. But the government, on the other hand, no, no, we can't buy those things. So yeah, let's see, we got 17,260 government vehicles, which is probably uh, 10,000 too many for whatever the hell they do anyways. Of all of those, only 3% are zero emission. You would have thought when they're bending over backwards and they're spending billions on battery plants, of your money, my money, when they're telling us we must go on to these things, they won't do it themselves. Maybe the bureaucrats don't want to drive an electric car. Don't blame them. Problem is we've got to pay for them. So yeah, yeah, you know, did the government even take their own crap seriously? I don't know. They've had recent embarrassment, though. I mean, that's funny. Stephen Gilbo stating Tuesday that Canadians, this is the other neat thing, Canadians need to take further actions to meet climate targets because they've been embarrassed. The government's been embarrassed. The reports are coming out. And they're realizing our emissions aren't going down. We're kicking ourselves in the economic balls over and over and over again to try and bring down emissions within Canada, but the emissions aren't falling. So does Gil Ball, the, the green Jesus, the man in charge, the environment minister, the one who's been part of this government for eight years to bring down the emissions, is any of that responsibility his? No, he says it's your fault. It's my fault. Canadians need to take further action to meet climate targets. Not once do you say maybe your actions suck, they've failed. You've had a carbon tax in for this long. Shouldn't the emissions have been dropping by now? But I mean, the government doesn't care. The climate tax, the climate tax, the carbon tax, if it really mattered, then the government would never have cherry-picked and lifted it on the, the maritime provinces, would it? I mean, this is too important. The world is at stake. The earth is boiling. We can't reduce carbon taxes. We'll kill everybody. But even the government knows the carbon taxes aren't doing a damn thing, except costing us money and putting more money into government coffers to put into stupid programs. But it just gets so insulting. When you listen to a clown like Gilbo, a avowed socialist, uh, saying it's Canadians' responsibility. We have to do more. We failed him. Hey, we should send him cards and apologize. I'm sorry, Stephen. I didn't uh, make my life miserable enough to reach your climate targets. So I'll uh, try and wear two more sweaters this winter and turn the heat down. Ah, piss off, Gilbo. Can't wait to the end of your career, buddy.
Uh, let's see. We'll finish this off with, uh, yes, coming up on January 24th in Calgary. Dave mentioned that. Somebody that's made big news. Uh, Tucker Carlson's coming to Calgary. He's going to do a, a sit-down event at the, the TELUS Convention Center. That's um, at January 24th. Pretty expensive. I think some of those tickets, uh, you know, you really got to like Tucker Carlson, I guess, if you want to go to it. But a lot of people do. It probably will be a sold-out event. Uh, it's going to be moderated by uh, Brett Wilson. Brett's been on the show before, of course. He's always an interesting guy to chat with. And, uh, of course, most con you know controversial of all, Premier Danielle Smith's going to be on there with him. And, of course, yes, the NDP are losing it over that. Ah, God, so what? I, I mean, really? Is that how controversial gets? She is not even allowed to sit with a person who really is, whether you like him or don't like him, an iconic conservative voice in North America. You know, he, he left Fox and, uh, you know, they thought that's going to be the end of him. No, actually, he moved on to Twitter and his shows on Twitter get views in the tens of millions of people. So it's significant and people want to listen to him. They like hearing what he has to say. Well, maybe they don't like hearing what they have to say, but they tune in to hear it. So why is it, though, not allowed? Because that's kind of the point they're making about it. It's not allowed. Smith shouldn't even be sitting down. It's just somebody, they shouldn't be platforming this guy. Guys, he already has a pretty high platform. He's doing quite all right. I don't think Premier Smith is raising him any. He's already got a fan base here and particularly in the States. That's why the TELUS Convention Center, even at a couple hundred to 500, I think, a seat is going to fill right up for people wanting to listen to this and go to it. Get over yourselves. You know, the, the, the premier uh, is allowed to sit down with influential figures like this at functions that a lot of people will go to. If you don't like it, here's the neat thing. And I threw that out on Twitter uh, just yesterday. The neat thing is you don't have to buy a ticket and go. Yeah. Easy as that. You, you know, you can go up to Edmonton, listen to Gil McGowan go on about something or whatever you want. You don't have to see Tucker Carlson. It's not mandatory. So get over it. It's not a big deal. And, uh... Yeah, it's just, just it's this cancel culture. It really does come down to that. I don't like that point of view. Thus, it should never be exposed. Well, too damn bad. It's going to be. It's probably going to be a great success. I'm going to be stateside over that period of time. I won't be able to attend this, but I'm not sure. I'm not so huge on Tucker Carlson that I don't know if I'd spend a couple hundred bucks to see it. That's just me. Obviously, thousands of people will be more than willing to, and it's going to be quite an event. We'll close it out with that, though, guys, and uh, I'll leave it there. Keep watching. I appreciate you coming in to talk to, or listen to me talk to you today. I appreciate the comments, guys. I see lots of them there today. And uh, yeah, watch for the pipeline. It's going to be another good one. I'll be with our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford, and uh, Dave Neeler, our news editor, and we'll cover a lot more topics in depth. And uh, yeah, keep subscribing to The Standard. We will see you all again next week at this time. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long long ago these guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in canada and more importantly educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people to become a member it's absolutely worth every penny